Welcome in, everyone, to episode 133 of the Bat Flip Podcast. I am David, along with Damien, and a guest today. Before we jump into anything, Damien, how are you doing this fine July 4th? I am doing very well. Um, you know, went to uh, the Dodger game last night against the Pirates, which was really fun, getting to go to two more this weekend for my birthday against the Angels. Uh, hope Mike Trout is not seriously hurt with that wrist injury that we saw and that he plays but other than that it's been a great uh great week so far and i'm excited for this uh this episode it's the first time we've ever done anything like this but uh how you doing david you know i'm doing good had my my parents in this weekend got to go to chicago a little bit went to a cubs game watch them watched them lose after a rain delay so that was pretty miserable um but you know other than that a really good weekend and i i had a nice a nice time there and we're able to Go like on a boat cruise last night. That was pretty cool. Going outside the, the the city and getting some pictures of the skyline and stuff. So that was pretty awesome. But uh, I want to introduce our MLB draft expert because this is going to be an episode where we talk exclusively about the draft upcoming next Sunday, July 9th. Uh, and we have brought on Greg Zumak, who is a Cubs prospect writer. Uh, over at Northside Bound. Uh, Greg, I'll let you kind of talk about what you do over there, but uh, Greg is going to talk about the whole draft and the MLB side of things, not just the Cubs. And I know you were just at the College World Series too, Greg. So, uh, you know, how are you doing today? And then obviously, where can we find you on all your, your social media platforms and stuff? And, and what are you working on? Well, absolutely. So, hey, I appreciate jumping on here. And, you know, yes, I, I focus a little bit more for a lot of the, the readers on the Cubs side. It, it just happens to be the team I follow, the Cubs fan, and and uh, I connect with, with the folks over there. But, you know, I love just talking MLB draft. So I'm having a fantastic 4th of July. Got the kids home. We've got, you know, there's fireworks off in the distance the past couple of days. It's fun. It's hot. You know, we're going to do some barbecue. And it's draft week. And this is my favorite week of the year. Apologies to any kind of holiday. Everybody celebrates, and I love them too. But I love the MLB draft, so I'm thrilled to be here talking with you folks. Uh, if you do want to check out my content, you can find me on Twitter, if that still exists by the time this episode drops, uh, <laughs> at, at IV Futures, I-V-Y Futures, F-U-T-U-R-E-S. Um, again, you can find my stuff at Northside Bound. Uh, and hey, I'm always trying to expand into some different digital medium, mediums and social media stuff. So I think we've got a really good Discord that we we plug there. Got some good discussion on there. We do talk some Cub stuff. We talk just MLB stuff, um, draft stuff and whatnot. So yeah, really thrilled to just be talking with uh, both you, Damian, and, and you, David. So Yeah, I agree. This is, this is going to be really cool, I think. And um yeah, I'm really happy to have Greg on there. Obviously, we've connected via, you know, Cubs Twitter over the last several years and, and have had plenty of good discussions. So uh, I'm looking forward to this a lot. And uh, we'll lead in with, I think, something that I learned in uh, via Harsh lesson last year specifically. But it, I, I've, I've thought about it in years past, but it never really clicked until last year. And I, I want to go over this with you, Greg, you know, cause last year I was pretty mad when the Cubs drafted Cade Horton. Um, but the way you the Cubs pieced, I know <laughs> the, and the Cubs piece together a draft in such a way that it ends up looking a lot different. And I kind of want to go over how the MLB teams are going to approach this draft because it's not going to be talent pick, you know, best player on the board every time down. Um, 
you know, give us some different options with, with teams where guys are going to go under slot. And maybe if you know the, you know, the slot values or, or the, the bonus pools or yeah. something, could you give an idea of that? Totally. So, hey, just in case anybody isn't familiar with how the MLB draft works in general, here's like a very quick rundown. This is the MLB draft is totally different than NHL, NBA, NFL. I think those probably more like NBA and NFL are the ones that get a little bit more of the, of the publicity there. It, While it's not the top player gets picked one, the second best player gets picked two all the time, it's pretty close to that, right? And and there's also a lot of day game trades as well. MLB doesn't have that. You can only trade a handful of picks, and it's you, it has to be done before the draft. Additionally, each of these teams are given, every single pick is given a particular value that's assigned by baseball. And it goes all the way down from the top one, which is about $9.7 million, uh, all the way to, let's say, to, to pick... Um, I'll just pick somebody. The Marlins are at 10. They're at 5.45 million, somewhere right around there. And so like, it just kind of keeps scaling back with every single pick. As you can imagine, you get down to pick you know, 47 and it's 1.8 million. And it just keeps going down to about $167 million. Uh, $167,000. If you're yep. getting $167 million, I think you should take that deal. I would take <laughs> that deal. <laughs> but you know, it just kind of keeps scaling down there. And so that doesn't mean that that's what the player has to get um, paid. It's an assigned value. And what all these teams do is you you take the top 10 rounds of this, and that's what you call your bonus pool. That's your chunk of money that you can spend with a few exceptions almost any way you want. So if you want to take a guy, let's say, we'll use this example here, the Pirates, they could take the top overall talent of the board, and we'll talk about him in a second, or and maybe pay him nine point seven or even ten million, even over that value. Or maybe they take a guy that's you know what, like he's really good. We would normally take him one one in a, in a different year, um, somebody like a Max Clark, uh, and pay him like seven point five million or eight million dollars, and bank some of that money later. A lot of teams do that. That's what we call an underslot, which is what you were just talking about. <clears throat> Along with that, though, this doesn't mean the teams are being cheap. Almost every team spends their full allotted amount unless there's an injury hiccup or something. Um, and so then they may take that money and repurpose it in the second round. And instead of offering a guy like $2.5 million, they could offer him $4 million and buy that player down. We're probably going to see that. And so to use that example with what the Cubs did last year, and, and the Rangers did as well, for any of our Rangers fans here, the Rangers were picking uh, third last year. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> they take Kumar Rocker, who's, who was not valued overall there, banked a ton of money with him and bought somebody down who, you know, the player had to agree to it. It's not like they just paid him money and made him come down, but they they quote-unquote, bought a player all the way down to the fourth round who was probably a top 10 to 12 overall talent in Brock Porter. Cubs did something similar. They got Cade Horton, paid him, I think it was like 12th or 13th overall money at pick seven, and then got Jackson Ferris, who was a guy that that many teams had. Let's see, I've had a couple teams tell me, just a couple scouts say that um, they had him about like 18th, 19th, somewhere right around there. 
Um, some of them had him in the top 20, 25. And so that's what the Cubs ended up paying for their second round pick. And so it's just a way to, it's, it's, it's more creative. Uh, it's not the perfect system. It's not like I'm going to sit here and say like mm-hmm. that the players don't still kind of get screwed out of, you know, during some situations there. But I think it is, it's a different system. It's kind of a fun system and it allows for some creativity. Yeah. The way I had to, rationalize it and understand it last year was it was in essence the Cubs trading like seven and 45 or wherever they picked for like 12 and 19 that was like the the way it in my mind and you know that that's what we're gonna have to look out for so Damien do you want to open up the second question and we'll kind of alternate from there yeah absolutely um and I think that you you gave a great synopsis of of how the draft really really works in that point because i think it was a couple years ago when henry davis went one that kind of really opened my eyes to win how the whole draft system really works and uh that i don't get much of that as a dodgers fan because they're usually picking really low but (laughs) but really well Uh, (laughs) that's the thing that annoys teams a lot yeah the dodgers are consistently getting these guys that you you know not to get too far off tangent here but like the the dodgers are usually picking guy and you're like of course like, of course, yeah. they got Dalton rushing. We were talking yeah. about Dalton rushing last year's the Dodgers pick, I think at like 40th overall last year, mm-hmm. he was their top pick. And the second he got popped, I had uh, friends of mine, they were, you know, within the game or whatever, and they're like, of course. Um, <laughs> yeah. And some of them didn't say it as uh, politely yeah. uh, as maybe maybe we would we would phrase Man. it right there. But I mean, it was immediately like this. Oh, of course, they got this jump. So yeah, if you're the Dodgers, the, the, um, the Rays, like, some of these teams just pop these guys that you're like, man, of course they got them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, yeah, so it, it, they are picking lower, but you've had some really slamming selections. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, since we've talked about the the process of the draft um, and, and talking about how players can go a lot higher than maybe they should and, and players could fall more, uh, you know, what do you think of this class as a whole? What are the strengths, the weaknesses in terms of, you know, college to high school players, pitchers to position players, like overall, what does this class look like compared to other ones? So the general view is that this is a a really strong class actually. And so there's a, there's a couple of reasons why one of them is when we talk about the evaluating a a draft class, you kind of break it down into the four demographics, which is it could be high school or college or pitcher or hitter. And so, you know, you look at how many high school hitters, you know, how many college pitchers, that kind of thing. And yes, there's some exceptions with some guys who, who play, uh, they're two-way guys, but, but generally that's kind of how you view it. So then you look at some of the, the really strong categories of players that if you just look in the past history, players that fit these type of demographics just do better. College hitters happen to fit within that demographic. And it's a really, really strong, deep group of college hitters. Another one is high school shortstops or high school middle infielders. And it's a really good group of those as well. Couple that with the fact that there's pretty consensus top five overall players that the we're just talking, this is like all just draft talk, just narratives that get thrown around. But the general view is at least four of those and probably all five of those guys would be legitimate number one, one overall candidates. Most years, they just happen to be there this year. Um, Part of that is not a surprise. It is in part due to the 2020 season that the draft got shortened to five rounds. Um, Teams were just not as willing to take as big a chances 
So like a Dylan Cruz, who we'll talk about, a Wyatt Langford, they made it to campus. And in years prior, they probably wouldn't have. So, you know, we see these players that there's just a ton of depth in this draft, and that makes teams feel really comfortable with it. But you could get a guy at, you know, 17, 18, that you're probably, you know, I, I we're not going to get into too much of the signing bonus here with this part of it, but like just based on talent, you could get a guy lower that probably shouldn't be there most years. Wow. Yeah. That's, you know, that's, that's a ringing uh, endorsement of this class. And, and I want to get into a few of the, those top players. So let's, let's go over your top five. Who are those guys that you think are, are all candidates to be, you know, one, one overall. It is Dylan Cruz. I actually started the year with, I think Dylan Cruz is the number two overall prospect uh, to one of the players that we'll talk about here in a second, Max Clark. Um, but Dylan Cruz is is really impressive. What he's shown as a center fielder uh, is, is a lot better than I thought. And from an offensive perspective, he answered a lot of the questions I was concerned about, mostly contact related to spin. So we're talking breaking balls uh, outside the zone. <clears throat> that was my big concern. And, and he addressed that pretty well. I think he's an, an all-star MLB player here in, in a few years. It doesn't mean he's going to be perfect. doesn't mean he's going to be a triple crown winner. But, um, but yeah, he's, he's just really good. Um, I actually do have, um, you know, I do have Max Clark second, and that's going to ruffle some feathers. Uh, but I still really like Max Clark overall. Um, he is a high schooler out in Indiana. I think he's an absolutely pure center fielder. He's starting to show a little bit of power. I think he's really underrated. I would take him 1-1 most years. I I wouldn't take him over Dylan Cruz, and that's nothing to do with Max Clark, um, but I just really like his profile. Paul Skeens, if if you've been watching any of the College World Series, you've probably heard of Cruz and Langford as well, uh, but Paul Skeens went supernova this year. He came into the year as a former two-way guy and transferred over from Air Force to LSU. LSU had convinced him, hey, you know what? Let's not worry about what you can do at the plate. Let's worry about what you can do on the mound. And yes, sir, he absolutely answered those questions. He looks like the most pro-ready player in the in the draft. Excuse me. Um, very lethal, a lot of velocity, not a perfect pitcher yet. So a lot of people that are like, hey, he just put him right in the rotation right now. I would say no. In fact, there there's some pro development plans that I would I would recommend that he adds perhaps like a cutter. Uh, or readjust his face fastball shape, but we're still talking about uh, an all-star future pitcher upside. Then we start talking about Wyatt Langford, outfielder in Florida, <clears throat> not a center fielder for me. No offense to any of our Florida Gators fans. I've seen him a good amount. I was really hoping that the speed would take over. He's really fast. I don't think he gets good reads in center field, so he's probably a left fielder, but a really really strong bat. And then we're wrapping up our top five. With the guy that I do actually have a full tier below those, we're still talking about an upper upper level upside player. Um, I'm just a little bit more skittish on the profile, and that's uh, Walker Jenkins. He, to me, I think he's a corner outfielder. The bat does look very special, but there is more risks with the high schoolers. Um, and so I have him just slightly below those other, other group. Um, to the point that I would actually even look at like other players, you know, if we're getting into the draft meta there um, at that pick five. But at the end of the day, Walker Jenkins is just really good. You can probably, I won't go into a deep detail on all the rest of them, but 
guys like Rhett Lauder, who's Wake Forest pitcher, Kyle Teal, catcher out of Virginia, um, and then Arjun Namala, who I'm very high on as a 17-year-old shortstop, Strawberry Creek High School in Florida. I think he's I think he's going to be really special. So um, those are some of the names to kind of look out for if you're just if you're if you're picking in the top ten, those should be names that you should pay attention to. There could be others. Um, but that's, you know, that's some of the guys who get the headlines in this class. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, you know, some of those names, uh, I'm not a big, you know, high school draft person or prospect savant. So, you know, being able to hear a breakdown of like what Max Clark um, or Walker Jenkins could potentially bring, um, you know, it's very good to hear. But uh, you mentioned, you know, Skeens kind of went supernova. Um who was kind of the top standout at the the College World Series there? Was it Skeens? Was it was it somebody else that kind of really rose their draft prospect uh, rankings over the past few weeks? Man, it's so hard because this is such a good question. Uh, I would so the the real standouts. This is like so chalky. Dylan Cruz looked great. Paul Skeens looked awesome. He was a force. Rhett Lauder went toe to toe with Skeens in 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 a huge game in the College World Series final. Uh, you know, and so like Wyatt Langford looked, looked really good. A lot of those guys that are just in the consensus top group just looked great. Not everybody, but, but, um, you know, there's another name out there, uh, Chase Dollander. I think things were just a little bit more mixed for him. He still presents a lot of questions that teams will have to answer. I think those teams are going to feel comfortable answering it, but, um, he's a right-handed pitcher at a, at a Tennessee and, Still probably has as some teams where you're saying, all right, he's not as sure of a bet as Rhett Louder. Maybe the ceiling is higher. As far as the standouts outside of that group, as far as the 2023 class, you know, you're actually probably talking about some of these more underrated guys. <clears throat> Josh Rivera is a shortstop out of Florida. Looks like a no doubt shortstop, which you know, a lot of college shortstops, you look at him and you're like, yeah, he plays shortstop for them, um, but he's not going to play shortstop very long in the pros. That's not the case with Josh Rivera. He's got really extensive tool set there. He can play the ball in many different ways. He's got range. He's got flair. Uh, he's got good, accurate throwing motions from multiple angles. <clears throat> he looks like a pro-level short shortstop. The bat, he had a really strong year for Florida. Probably the big questions that are still out there is that he's older and frankly hasn't been that amazing for a few years. He's been pretty solid. And so you're kind of looking at it and saying, all right, well, he's 23. He just had a really, he had a whole really good year. And I think he had a few really cool, great moments, really strong games in the College World Series. I think that does still matter for folks. And and I I think he's probably going to get around picked around higher than he would have maybe in that second third third round probably still for a little bit of money saving because he's older but that's a guy that you know I came away watching very impressed. Hmm. Um, Braden Taylor is another guy that has looked really really strong. He's the third baseman out of TCU. Extremely patient approach to the point that you're like. Man, Braden, like honestly, with the way things are going, you should swing at that. And and I think that that, <laughs> uh, but he like won't expand the zone. And I think that's something you can work on at the pros. Um, but you'd rather have a guy who has extremely good plate discipline. 
he's he can hit the ball to his pull side so he's a left-handed hitter that means he hits it out to right field um he went toe-to-toe with some really strong arms in the college world series and more just continued what he's done which is a really strong big 12 championship tourney really you know pretty good uh ncaa regionals and super regionals and and then college world series so he ended the season on on a real high note after a guy that was probably sitting you know he came into the year probably close to a top 10 player then he ran into some contact issues early in the year he looked like somebody you could probably get in the 20s or 30s and i think he rose his stock back up over the last few weeks to feel like you know what if you if you even took him in the top 10 I think you'd feel like you're getting a really, really good player there. Yeah, and you know that that kind of shows some of these college standouts. You know, Josh Rivera is ranked 87th on on Pipeline, um, but obviously showing enough in in the College World Series to to have grabbed note. You know, and I think you know some some of these teams second, third round, you're going to be looking out for a guy like that. You know, a rock solid shortstop who might not be the flashiest bat, but he can he'll at least get the job done there. Uh, for years to come, you know, in your farm system. And all it takes is that one adjustment that could maybe, you know, unlock some power, do good swing change. And, and there you go. Now you've got a really good player. Um, I, I want to jump into some of these high schoolers because we just talked about all those college bats. Uh, you know, we thought we mentioned Clark and Jenkins, but, you know, who are some of those high school players that are going to go in the, the back end of the top 10 or maybe, you know, 11 through 20 that we should be on the lookout for other than maybe Arjun Nimala, he mentioned, and maybe you can start there. Yeah. So I will, I'll start there. Cause I think Nimala is a good spot. Uh, he's got a fairly wide range uh, for where I think teams will like him. And the reason is because he's so young, but he does have some contact issues where he'll, he'll swing and miss. It's important to remember though, he's like barely 17 years old. And so we really should be looking at him as if he's a high school junior, at which point a lot of, a lot of these players have that. Um, but I still really like Namala, and I think a lot of teams will too. Electric bat speed. Um, maybe some questions, because again, he's 17. Is he going to stay at shortstop long-term? It's really hard to know. Probably fits over at third base eventually. That's still fine. That's not somebody you're shuttling out into the outfield or at first base. So Arjun Namali gets a lot of publicity. Kylie McDaniel had a fantastic article really diving into him with an interview with him very unique background, an Indian American, grew up actually playing cricket. And so he's he's just a really interesting, very introspective dude. Everybody who talks to Arjun Namala is so impressed with Arjun Namala, the person, um, on top of the player. And I think, and that should matter to to folks as well as, as they try to make these multi-million dollar decisions for their team. So Arjun Namala, really big fan of him. There's a few other high school players that that I really like and and I think are going to get picked higher than folks are putting in mocks um Colt Emerson I've liked since the beginning of the year I think he was one spot below Namala entering the year he's like eighth and I think Namala was seventh or something on my preseason Colt Emerson he is a shortstop out of Ohio and Auburn commit yeah Auburn commit I had to think about that one for a second um, and I just really like the profile. I think he's got a great hit tool. I think he's getting into some emerging power and I, I look at mocks and mocks drafts are fun. They're fantastic. I think you can get some information out of them, but I see him, you know, in that like 20 to 30 range. And I'm like, you know what? I, 
I just, I see a guy that's probably going in the middle of the first round. Maybe I'm totally wrong on that, but I really like Colt Emerson. Similar profile is actually Kevin McGonigal, shorter. Uh, I think it lists him as 5'10". I feel like that might be a little generous, and uh, but really good hit tool and some pop. Like this is not a guy that's just this light hitting, um, no disrespect to this player here, but like Nick Madrigal is the one that sometimes people look at <laughs> incredible hit tool, but doesn't have any power. That's not the case. You can actually be short and get into some really impressive juice and you know, Kevin McGonigal is, is honestly there. I mean, I've talked to people who think he's above average or even plus power, plus feels like it might be a stretch. But that, I mean, this is a kid with some some actual juice there. Aiden Miller is another one who entered the year as probably a consensus, like top 10, top 12, 15 guy, and just broke his handmade bone, which is what I really hope didn't happen to Mike Trout last night. Um, uh, mm-hmm. I really, really hope that didn't. But it's also not something that is this career ender or changes the way you view a player long-term. It's not an ACL tear. It's not um, a bad knee injury or a back injury where you're thinking, oh, this could affect their mobility or their movement. This is something that you just, he had to rest and recuperate. Didn't have as much excitement this year because he wasn't playing. The It's been reported now a few different places that he's been going to workouts. This is Aiden Miller. Um, and has looked really good. I think Milwaukee was one that that people have talked about him going to uh, a showcase on and looking really good. So that's a guy that probably goes in the top 15 or so as well. And there's there's two more that are, uh, I would say, a little bit on the riskier side based on that demographics we talked about in the past. One is a high school catcher. That's Blake Mitchell. He looks amazing. He looks like the real deal as a high school catcher. Here's the caveat with all that. The track record on high school catchers is really terrible to the point that the chances that you are a high school catcher and a first round pick, and then you ultimately play more than a hundred games as a high school catcher or as a, as a major league catcher is just really small. The players that do it look awesome, right? There's like the Joe Maurer and even more recently, you've got Tyler Stevenson for the Reds. But the the track record is just not very good. So there can be these unique players that are just worth it. But all these major league teams, they lie heavily on data, past precedent. What does the numbers tell you? Uh, And while there's good and bad with that, one of the, the issues is that sometimes these players just get overlooked. And so Blake Mitchell, you know, maybe a team like the Royals doesn't do that. They don't believe in that as much and they just see the player in front of them. That that is it. That a guy that could even go in the top ten, but you could also see him fall down the list. And the last one that I'll mention, I know I've been throwing out a whole bunch of names here, is Noble Meyer. Noble Meyer is a prep, so a high school right-hander, <clears throat> right-handed pitcher, and that's another track record. Not as bad as high school catcher, but just it's it's not a great track record for high school arms, especially right-handers. But he does look like the real deal. And so the fastball is fantastic. The, the slider is a definite plus pitch. I'm actually really encouraged with the changeup. He is a, uh, the right-hander is out of a Jesuit high school in Portland. And so it's a, what we call cold weather arms. There's not a lot of wear and tear on that arm. And so, you know, some of these teams maybe aren't going to want to take that risk as much, but, um, but the ones that do are probably going to, again, see the player in front of them, believe in the, in that profile uh, and take a swing there. 
Greg, I just want to tell you how many points you got for mentioning Nick Madrigal, the best Major League <laughs> Baseball player that has ever existed. Uh, the Madrigoats, um, I believe. Yes, we are very much a Madrigal stan, uh, wow. at, least, at least of this side of talking right now. Greg, Damian uh, went and go. bought a Madrigal jersey, like a custom-made Madrigal jersey when he came to Wrigley Field. So that's, yes, mad yeah. respect, mad respect. Yes. You know, I, there's, um, you know, if we want to do a quick Nick Madrigal draft corollary, really quick here, because it's totally pertinent. There is actually a player in this class that some teams absolutely love. They completely believe in this guy. And others are like, I don't love the profile. And that's actually Jacob Wilson. Uh, Jacob Wilson is a shortstop, but I think he's probably more of a second base, third base um, <clears throat> out of Grand Canyon. I've seen him play a few times, and he's looked extremely impressive on the dirt. He does not strike out. He makes obscene amounts of contact. He can hit some doubles. He does have more juice than Nick Madrigal. He will get into I've actually seen a home run that he's hit. Um, <laughs> the concern is that on average, he hits it a lot slower than you would think. Like, I think it sits about 83, 84 miles per hour. That is really low in college with, it's not like juiced bats or anything, but that's pretty low for an aluminum bat. And so like Jacob Wilson is a guy that talk about the widest range in the class. This is a guy that could go sixth or he could go like, well, once he gets into like Houston Dodgers, I don't think that's a likely situation there. But, um, but you know, maybe to Milwaukee or something way down there. And he could be really good, but gosh, he just does not hit the ball hard. So I am like very skittish on him, but I know people that love him. So if you want a Nick Magical Corollary, that actually is a pretty good one. Right, Worth David, noting, you know, I believe that that's Jack Wilson's kid. Uh, it is. That's, you know, MLB yeah. legend Jack Wilson, the lightning yeah. shortstop, right? So. Kids yeah, following made, in dad's footsteps, huh? Who made yeah. a fantastic career out of it. And, like, I think Jacob yeah. Wilson is a no-doubt major leaguer. I just – to me, I just don't love that profile. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, so you mentioned a bunch of high school guys that, you know, could kind of be a little bit higher than most people would expect. Is there a couple college names that, you know, might fall into that as well? Yeah, totally. So, you know, this is where we start getting into the underslotting. And I don't want that to have to, for people to be like, this is ridiculous. I looked at pipeline and he's 42nd, you know, they, they mm -hmm. are screwing up the draft, whatever. There are some guys that, that could fit that profile. One of them is Nolan Shonnell. He is a first baseman. Some people think he can play left field, but you know, mostly like first baseman out of FAU. His offensive profile is fantastic. Like it, he makes hard contact. He does not swing and miss, and he doesn't chase the ball out of the zone. He's a first baseman. Again, some people think he can play left field. So, like, not everyone is going to love that profile. Um, I just checked. Pipeline's got him at, like, 26. If you told me he went 9th or 10th in this class, 13th, somewhere right around there, I would not be surprised whatsoever. I think Perfect Game even had him in consideration for like six, seven, eight, something like that. Um, and it's because you're going to save a bunch of money on him, but also you could look at him and say, yep, that's our first baseman in the future. Uh, or maybe they're bullish on him and think oh, he's a, he's our left fielder. <clears throat> he is a guy that, you know, where, regardless of where he gets drafted, I think you just, you throw out where pipelines got him ranked and look at him as, yeah, this is what, you know, this is what they're doing there. Uh, other guys, 
that are in, I'm going to take a quick scan because I know where, like I would rank them, but um, where other people would rank them. You know, Chase Davis is probably another guy in that same kind of category. He's a left fielder only, outfielder at Arizona. Does some similar stuff. I, I would take Shano over Davis personally, but I know people have have uh, Davis a little bit higher, maybe a little bit more athleticism there. Um, again, does a lot of the things you would want as as an outfielder, as as a uh, as a hitter at the plate. And so, I, you know, that's probably from the from the college side to consider there. I'll toss out one other one that I came away watching him very impressed. I don't know that I would pop him too high in the first round. But maybe I am wrong on that, and that's Mitch Jeb. There are a couple teams who really, really like Mitch Jeb. He's the shortstop out of Michigan State. I think he looks at least like an infielder, and and I would honestly, I would give him a pretty strong run as as a shortstop. He makes really good contact. He's got a very unique un, and unorthodox swing, and so not everybody is going to like that. But weird can work in baseball. So he makes a lot of contact. He actually hits the ball with a decent amount of juice. And, well, yeah, he's got kind of a weird swing. Um, he gets into a fairly good position. And, I, yeah, I, I've heard some teams really, really like him. I don't know if it's worth it enough to pop him super early in the first, but, I mean, maybe you just would rather take a chance on that versus, like, a Jacob Wilson. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think that's pretty good i'm gonna dodge uh, some of the the questions we had originally planned for like specific points in the draft maybe what we'll do is we'll come back to them at the end and we can kind of run yeah. through a, a rank or a, maybe a half bat flip mock of some kind cool. to get the the ranks the specific like locations but i think you're right one thing i want to touch on that's not on our list but that maybe we can clear up is when you say uh, you know, I think this guy could play shortstop or mm-hmm. I think this guy's not a left fielder. What are you looking at, especially when it comes to high schoolers, that gives you that idea? Because my thought is that Ellie De La Cruz is a guy who I am 100% certain people would say he's going to move off a of shortstop. But he's gone in and played shortstop thus far. He's yeah. been really good at it. So who is, you know, you know what, what do you what do you? thinking of there when you're saying that just to kind of clear things up maybe it's it's a fantastic question and as honestly it's been a question that i ask myself constantly and i ask others within the game as well that i respect so it's funny you brought up the reds because they also have matt mclean who the the knock on him he was kind of a top five overall potential player in in his draft class and then slid a little bit and and the reds were like look at this gem that fell into our our plate and part of it is the fact that the, some teams viewed him as definitely not a shortstop, and others were like, this guy's a shortstop. So not even may, all major league teams have a good firm handle on that. <clears throat> so here's what I'm looking for, especially with the high schoolers. I actually did, just did this exercise for a piece at Northside Bound, um, and this is very you know Cubs meta here, but, but it's related to their 2021 second uh, round draft pick, James Toronto's. If you read very well-established publications, we'll just say one. It's Baseball America is the leading voice on that. Um, This isn't to knock Baseball America, but they talk about James Tarantos as if he is just a future first baseman to the point that they use that verbiage uh, or relate him to a player that is a 
100% first baseman DH. I just don't agree with that, and I respect their opinion. So I had to do a big deep dive on that. Like, this is challenging my, my viewpoint. What, why, is, why is this happening? And so I asked infield coaches, I asked scouts, I asked a whole bunch of things, and here's what we're looking for. Part of it is you look at certain traits. For instance, obviously, what kind of range they have. Now, if you want to bring up Ellie De La Cruz, I mean, he's super rangy guy, right? He can frankly just take two steps, and that's a pretty big range at that frame. So he's got a lot of range, and he's fairly quick, very quick. That's selling it way short. Um, you also look at the arm. You look at how a player is going to move to his left or his right, um, especially when we're talking about shortstops. And then the last thing, and this is a lot more complicated because you're not always going to get a good view of it. You look at how they play the ball in different ways. So let's bring it back to the major leagues and look at Dansby Swanson. Dansby Swanson is the elite shortstop or an elite. It's hard to argue as anything other than probably the elite shortstop. And he does everything right. He doesn't even have an overly strong arm, though it's perfectly fine. He does everything to near perfection. He handles the ball on different bounces. He handles balls to his left, to his right. He's extremely rangy. He also does, and this is how I absolutely love this drill, um, and that some others within the game are starting to pick up on. This is from Ron Washington, where he will take just these like very quick, quick hits very close to him, just these little bounces, and try to play the ball in different techniques and see the, the different bounces off the grass or off the dirt as a as a um you know a, a kind of a, a drill to start start the game. He is building out what we call or perfecting in his case, an expansive toolbox of techniques. And that's what you want to see. Some of that stuff can be trained though. And so that's where it gets into a little bit more of the this is where teams will disagree looking at, let's say, like an Arjun Namala or Colt Emerson or Kevin McGonagall or whatever, they will look at how a different player reacts to these and either feel like we can teach him that or, you know what, I don't think actually, even if we try to teach him, I don't think that's going to work long term. So hopefully that answered your question. It's something I could talk about for a whole long time, but I won't take us too far off topic here. No, that's good. That's yeah, good I stuff. Was, I think it was really great. Um you know, breakdown of how, of how people can view it. But, um, you know, we've mentioned how the MLB draft is a lot different than all the other drafts. You know, when you draft somebody usually in the NBA or the NFL, they're coming in and making an immediate impact to your mm-hmm. team right away. Um, baseball doesn't really happen. You get the few guys who could potentially get there in a couple of years. Um, but the past year or so we've seen, especially, you know, with the Angels, We've seen Zach Nito and Ben Joyce, fast risers, rise up in less than one year to the major leagues. Who are kind of those guys that could potentially be within that year range to, you know, year and a half up to the major leagues making an impact on their team? It's a great question because Neto went 13th. This is not somebody that was was like, of course, he went second. He's a top college guy. Of course, he went to the majors super early. I was a big fan of Zach Neto. Uh, he, you know, for the Cubs that, you know, that I was pounding the table on that. Um, and, and he ultimately went to the angels. The angels were aggressive in their promotions, but Neto's absolutely stood up to it. There's a few guys that I think generally teams feel like, yeah, these are probably quicker risers. Dylan Cruz, Paul Skeens, we've talked about, there's just not a ton of development steps that need to happen. Paul Skeens could pitch, in the majors later this year, if a team was so inclined. 
he's not going to be in the rotation. He's got a lot of arm, uh, mileage on the arm. So probably in the pen, but you could see that absolutely working and then go back to the minors next year, get ready to go um, and, and be back up in the rotation. So I think generally people feel pretty good that there's not too much of a runway for like Paul Skeens. Dylan Cruz is probably already hitting in double A, maybe even later this year. He's somebody that, I mean, you're probably looking at like a, I mean, I know this is kind of Cubs meta there, but you know, probably no longer than like Chris Bryant took um, or, or some of these, you know, other very quick moving players. And I don't think he needs to work on his outfield defense. Uh, so he can probably go right up to the majors uh, with regard to just defense. And those are, those are easy. Those are easy answers. Rhett Louder doesn't need a lot of development steps. I think where it gets kind of fun though is when you start looking at some of these other players that probably don't need too much. And then we start looking at different, what we could look at certain players that you may think, this is a major league reliever right now. That's kind of the Ben Joyce situation. There's not a really obvious standout there, although I was very impressed watching like a Cade Denton uh, from Oral Roberts. I think some of these relievers are, there's just not going to be too much time that they're going to need to spend in the in the minors. Brandon Sprout, if he wanted to just be a reliever, could probably do that right way. Uh, he's a right-handed pitcher out of Florida. Um, you know, something like that. I'm trying to think of anybody who would be a real like, ooh, that'd be like a hot, uh, hot take kind of situation there. Um, I think that's probably it. I, I don't think I can come up with anything. I wanted to come up with something super clever and fun, but uh, ultimately those would be the guys that I would look at. And I will say, even being super high on Neto last year, I didn't think he would do this. Like I thought he'd be in double A right now. I definitely didn't think he'd be having a really good showing in the major leagues. So maybe I was even too low on him. But you know, it that's just the fun part of the draft is that teams are going to have develop, different development paths. And they're, while we generally think about this, something that could take four, five, six years, um, there are players that just, they buck that trend and they're up early. Yeah, that's right. And, and you know, Zach Nato is a, I, I'm wondering if there's not a shift coming in terms of how players are promoted given talent, given age, because Neto went from being an older college player to a young major league player with that, you know, aggressive promotion style and maybe the angels are the only team doing this because obviously both ben joyce and zach netto are the you know both on their on their system but i'm very curious as to whether this indicates a shift of more aggressive promotion when you have known older talent um like you know and i am wondering if you know maybe it's a, a cruise or a skeins but maybe one of those college guys that you mentioned that are, that are low slot, maybe those guys who shoot through the system quickly and are able to uh, become younger at their level instead of, you know, playing a ball as a, as a 23 year old, you know, that, that might be something that, that we look for moving forward that changes things uh, for, for some of these major league teams. I- it, it's a really good point. So one, one wrinkle um, that I think adds to your, to your argument is also that with the, and I'm, I'm happy that the players got this, but with the minor league players getting uh, a union and getting a, a CBA, elective bargaining agreement, <clears throat> you know, one of the, the downstream effects of that is that 
while they're going to be compensated more, and, and I'm very happy about it, there will also be less minor leaguers. So I do think that that points to your to, to your point, David, where they there's just going to be value in in letting guys push them through the system and letting them, you know, like if they keep hitting, why do they need 300 at bats in low A? You know, like let's say you're Garrett Forster, first baseman um, out of Oregon State, or you know Nolan Shonell, first baseman, you know FAU, like we talked about, really great hitting performances. Why would they need 250 at bats in high A? Like maybe they are ready very soon. They show you exactly what they need to do. Put them in double A, and if they're doing that, you know, give them a couple hundred at bats. Put them in triple A. Like maybe they're just ready. And instead of this old baseball adage of like, wow, let's give these guys X amount of at-bats. Um, it used to be like 1,000 at-bats or 1,200 at-bats in the minor leagues at a certain level or a couple levels. Why do we need to do that? There's no reason to keep them in the minors. So I, I do. Yeah, I think I think there could be a shift from some teams that are being more aggressive and saying, yeah, let's do this. Let's Let's move them up. Probably not high schoolers, but I know that's not what you were saying. No, yeah, I think the the high schoolers obviously need more adjustment. They need to pick up that that time, you know, to to adjust. But there's no reason that you know we look at the way Juan Soto developed, right? I mean, he just pressed his way through the the minor leagues, the Nationals, just kept promoting him until he was a major leaguer, and he won a World Series. So it's like, you know, the way pl- players show you who they are, and you know, they obviously need some time. It's just going to be perfecting. Uh, that that time of development that as these teams figure that out, you know, I, we're going to see more Zach Nettos, I think. And I think it's it's good to keep an eye on that going forward. We have only we've, we've kind of missed a couple of, of names that I think people are going to know. And I want to throw them out there and then see if maybe these are the types of guys that might run into a slide. We haven't talked about Jacob Gonzalez at all. Um, you know, we haven't talked about Hurston Waldrep much at all. He's a the Florida right-handed pitcher. We haven't talked about Enrique Bradfield, and I've seen him mocked in the top 10 a couple of times. Uh, maybe even also, we, we barely mentioned Chase Dollander, but I think he's probably a candidate for this. Who might be the the Brock Porter of this year, the player that's definitely you know expected to be a first-round pick, but slides based on maybe either talent concerns or potentially uh, that signability concern that we looked at with Brock Porter, where, you know, some team's going to have to make some major concessions in their draft class in order to pick up that player. Yeah, it's a great question. It's a lot of, it's a question that I think even other major league teams are asking right now. So I won't say I have all the answers. You know how I mentioned with Colt Emerson, Kevin McGonigal, it's these players that like, I feel like we're just not hearing a lot. Um, and I, I still think there's teams lying in the weeds in like middle of the first round or something like that. But that could be a that could be a situation in which those players quote unquote slide to to a later pick and, and maybe more like Kevin McGonagall because uh, not everybody's going to love the hype. But but Kevin McGonagall all of a sudden he slides down. He's a should be a no doubt uh, first rounder and slides down to maybe even like the third pick in somebody's draft. And then gets way over slot. That that is the kind of thing um, that we would see from as far as the college guys probably landing that far. I think I'd be a little surprised, but I do think that those are the candidates that, while we entered the year as, and I had them pretty much all right there um, 
in, in the top 10, top 12, something like that, that maybe they do drop a little bit more because we've seen some concerns there. Hurston Walter had a really fantastic run uh, where he leaned heavily on his splitter slider, and those are lethal pitches. The fastball has some questions, and different teams are going to have different answers how they think they're going to answer that question. Um, but, you know, he's not a guy that, that you just take in and you say he's ready. Uh, I think I think you need some development steps. And so certain teams are going to feel a lot more comfortable taking that chance. But also the teams with some of the best pitching development, not all of them, but some of them, the best pitching development, not a huge surprise. They're picking later in the first round, right? Like if he somehow lasts to the Dodgers or the Rays or... You know, I'm trying to, the Blue Jays is a pretty interesting team. They've got really slamming pitching development. And I feel like, yeah, they they would be glad to take a chance on that. Um, you know, that that's kind of how I view it. Whereas I still think you could go up a little bit higher, but, but that's some of the questions that I think teams are trying to answer right now. EBJ, Enrique Bradfield Jr., is a really dynamic and electric player. There are some questions maybe if he has to have a little bit of a swing change, but again, probably not a huge issue, not a complete overhaul, not something that's that crazy. What he does have, you can't teach. He has legitimate 80 grade speed. Like people use, um, sorry, really quick for scouting terms. We say like it's on a 20 to 80 scale with 20 being like really, really poor and 80 being the true elite. Shohei Otani is like an 80 grade overall player. There is nobody like Shohei Otani. Um, we'd say Ellie De La Cruz has 80 grade speed, truly elite speed, not something where there's a bunch of players with that. So when I say like an 80 grade, sorry, apologies there. I'm headlong into scouting stuff. Um, that's what we were talking about. True elite talent. 70 would still be elite. And so, you know, Enrique Bradfield Jr. has 80 grade speed. It is truly elite speed. He has elite out in center field. He makes really good contact. He actually hits the ball harder than you'd think. Um, and he doesn't chase the ball. So it should be, and, and he's a center fielder. So he should be a guy that you look at and you say, well, we're saying they sing the same things about Nolan Schoenel. So, you know, um, I think that certain teams are just going to value that different ways, but you could still take him in the top 10, or maybe he slides all the way to Milwaukee. That that would be kind of how I would view it. That's, that's really, really um, interesting. Um, you know, I, well, next question I want to have, it's kind of a two part kind of question. Um, we want to look at, we've mentioned a lot of names here, but who is some of the interesting names that are kind of outside? Do we know kind of round two type three area? And also within that, we mentioned that, Hey, earlier with the Dalton rushing, like, of course they did that obvious, obvious fit. Who hmm. could be that guy? Not specifically for the Dodgers, but just the the specific fit with the team that, everyone will be like, well, of course they did. And if it's, you know, more outside of kind of to that competitive round, balance round to kind of second, third round. Totally. There there are some like classic examples on that, honestly, in this class. Uh, I'll, I'll go with the high schooler first, just because I think he's, this is a candidate for somebody that could, maybe they don't slide, maybe they do actually get, you know, first rounder. Um, and you look at and you're like, what the heck, this guy's drafted, or so far that's Trent Caraway I've been talking about Trent Caraway for a while he's a third baseman from J. Sarah high school down in, in California just I really am a believer in him he's one of my gut feel guys I 
I don't even care if you took him in the mid first round. I think he'd be valuable there. He could be a guy that you get in the second or third as possible, um, depending on kind of what kind of offer there. But I, I think Trent Caraway is, is a guy I completely believe in and, and just, you know, don't worry about where he's ranked. I can't even remember where Pipeline moved him. They had him a while, like pretty low for a while, but um, but that's a guy I, I totally believe in. I, I think he's moved up recently. I found him if he's you at want 70. Talk, he's at 70 right now? Yep. Oof, that feels light. Um, oh, man, yeah, no, I would, I'd be fine if teams took him in the first round. Uh, but, hey, that's okay. All respect to them. Uh, but let's talk about your, of course, they they took that guy type thing because there are a few players that it totally fits. Mike Bovey, I saw him many times out in Omaha. He's third baseman for UNO, University of Nebraska, Omaha. Not like a, a big school, but but they played really competitively this year. This is a guy that probably sticks at third, though I'm a little bit more wary on where he ultimately ends up on the diamond. Makes incredible contact almost as good as Jacob Wilson. Like we were talking, I think I can share this data. Jacob Wilson had like a contact rate of 92%. Mike Bovey was at 90%. Uh, Mike Bovey does not chase the ball. He's got elite chase rate. He hits the ball much harder than somebody like Jacob Wilson. Again, this is not to knock Jacob Wilson, who I think has a much better chance to end up at second or third uh, than Bovey does. But Mike Bovey is the guy that if you told me the Dodgers took him or Houston or, and this is definitely the, the, the team that I could see doing it, Tampa Bay, it's like, of course they took him because that is just such a good profile for them. Another one that I haven't heard people talk about as much, but Michael Carrico has, is very similar. He, so he's actually a catcher at a Davidson, um, does not chase the ball at all, makes fantastic contact. It's like 86%, hits the ball decently hard. Um, not a guy that I think you take in the first round, but, but somebody in the second round that it's just, oh, if he ends up in a really good organization, that is like a, not quite a Dalton rushing type pick, but somebody that you look at and you're like, yes, that is a dynamite selection at that round. So there's, there's definitely a few of them in this class. I've already mentioned a few that, but they're probably likely first rounders, but those would be two guys that I don't think end up in the first. But you know what? They probably play, they could play like first rounders looking back. Yeah, Bovey is ranked 81 on pipeline and Carrico is ranked 110 on pipeline. So uh, definitely would be guys that if they, they were picked up in the 40s, 50s, 60s, you would say, wow, that's a, a bit of a reach for that team. But then, you know, you think back to this and go, oh, yeah. That's a, oh, yeah. that's a bit of a steal. You know, that's the type of guy that you're, you're looking out for. So, uh, Damien, Definitely. you got any more questions for Greg? Or maybe should we go into maybe like a let's see what may happen, a prediction or something to that to that effect? Uh, only other question that I wanted to see is uh, who are kind of the small school D2 type players that, you know, could pop up that players or people don't really know about that, you know, even pipeline guys aren't really talking about that could potentially be an impact at some point. Yeah, there's some D2 guys. Uh, let me throw, throw out just one D2 guy, because I, I, I'm i high on him, and I think that some team is going to take him, or he's going to end up, because I think he is transferring, um, So this is, but it might be more draft leverage. And that's Luke Napleton. Luke Napleton is kind of like... Um, well, again, I apologize if I get two Cubs meta on this, but I just like to use examples from their previous draft classes. But this is like uh, Hayden McGeary 
last year where he was a D2 player out of Colorado and absolutely destroyed the ball. He's not a catcher, but I think he was technically drafted as a catcher, but absolutely annihilated the ball. He has since come into pro ball and effectively continued to just annihilate the ball. Sometimes hitters hit, and it doesn't really matter where they play. And so you could be a D2 guy and absolutely destroying fools out there, or you, and then you can go to the pros and continue to do the same thing. I wouldn't anticipate the exact same type of profile, but Luke Nappleton uh, out of Quincy, I believe, is a D2 program, hits the ball so freaking hard, tons of home runs. I think he's a better shot to be a catcher than like Hayden McGeary was. And some smart team is going to take Luke Napleton or Napleton. I'm not sure how to, uh, how it's pronounced, but some smart team is going to take Luke Napleton and, and profit. Um, there's, there's definitely arms that could fit into that category though. I think we'd be diving pretty deep on that. The thing with arm like pitchers is the fact that if you get data on it, it kind of doesn't really matter what you throw, right? Like the mound should generally be the same. You could take, a D1 player stacked next to a D2 player stacked next to a D3 pitcher. It doesn't really matter what they're throwing is like the same thing. Um, and so that I, I think is a lot easier to see D2 guys. Uh, and I can't come up with any names off the top of my head, um, but I, we should not be surprised about that. But I think the hitters is where things get a lot trickier. And Luke Nappleton would be my pick for a D2 kind of breakout in pro ball. Look, I just wanted to get Hayden McGeary somewhere on the podcast. Uh, worth, oh, I, worth I, noting. Knew, I knew that's what it was. It wasn't so thinly veiled. <laughs> and that's okay hey, for I, good reason, right? I didn't he's even great... ask about it. That's the, the good part. But yeah, yeah, I mean, he's 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 gotten to the point where I think he's on, you know, putting kind of major leagues on notice is that it the, the Cubs may have been, you know, picked the gold mine here. He's, I think, what, the, the third highest WRC plus among draft play, drafted players last year. So as the, what the, you know, 15th round pick 15th you know, round. will yeah. we'll be, there will be guys like that, right? It, this draft coming up, there's going to be a pick in the 15th round that, you know, some team's going to hit on. And, you know, maybe last year was the Cubs this year. It could be anybody the, where either we, we might know it now, we might not know it till next year, but you know, there's value for every pick. And that's what makes the draft so much fun looking forward is like every time you see somebody that nobody has any data on, you know, some D2 guy who's been mashing the ball, that's the player you can get excited about. And and I think that's what makes the draft really special. I did think of a, a good way to phrase this question for you, Greg. Give me three draft predictions that you would like, you, you know, your, your best bet. You would think this is definitely going to happen. Just three so we don't do like a whole mock, but like first round first pick who's going first or or maybe a team connected to a player that you think is definitely going to happen three three predictions ooh that's fun um that's super 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 fun i won't just do like straight mocks cuz i mean that'd be kind of lame uh and i'll have a mock out um but yeah let me, let me fun predictions here i will do it hang with me on this hopefully this doesn't feel too lame but well, there's a big narrative about the consensus top five guys, you know, uh, Skeens, Cruz, Langford, Clark, Jenkins. That's like how people view the draft. I will say that there's a surprise there, and I will think that there will be a non-top five guy that goes top five. And most years, that wouldn't be a big deal. This year, it feels a lot more poignant uh, to say that, that I will, I will say that there is a surprise there in the top five that gets people like 
flipping tables, metaphorically, hopefully, um, at home, uh, because th- their team did not take one of the consensus top five guys. Uh, and Greg, I, just to, to push yeah. you a little bit, out of the top five, who do you think would be the most likely to do that? Yeah, it's Jenkins for me. Uh, I'll yeah. talk about team. I'm talking about oh, team-wise. Oh, oh, okay, 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 okay. All right, let me think about that for a second. Oh, man, I'm going back and forth on how I want to do this. Uh, I think Rangers are twins. I'll just say twins. Maybe that's a little bit lame, but whatever. I'll just go with, I'll just go with twins. They're picking fifth though, though. They have the fourth highest bonus pool. Yeah. I'll just say twins. This is just fun prediction. So I'll just go twins, make a surprise at five. Okay. So now that was one. That was probably the easiest one. Now it gets really fun. Uh, and um, trying to think of where I want to go with this one here. Uh, I'll, maybe I'll just do a straight pick. Um, I will say there's a player uh, that we haven't talked about, Nelson Velasquez. Not Nelson Velasquez, sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Ralphie Velasquez. And he is just a, a really impressive kind of masher down in California, though theoretically he plays catcher and people kind of mixed on that. But you know what? The offense just looks awesome. A lot of people don't have him as a first rounder. I think he ends up in the first round. And I'll just say, trying to pick a team that would make sense down there. I'll just say Houston. I'll say Houston takes Ralphie Velasquez in the first round. People are going to be, again, metaphorically being like, what the heck is this? Uh, it's the Astros. Why don't you just trust what they're drafting? Um, oh, it looks like Pipeline did move him up to 34. So maybe that's not as big of a hot take. But up until recently, like I felt like he was somebody that weren't on first-round radars. So I'll, I'll just go with that. Um, okay, so now we got to pick. Hmm. All right. Here's my last one. Joe Whitman is the top left-handed pitcher in the class. He's not generally viewed as a first rounder, but I will say that he ends up in the first round and maybe to a team like Seattle. I'll say, and they've got three first rounders. So honestly, picking one of those is, is kind of too difficult at one point, but I'll say that he ends up as a first round uh, to Seattle. And I think that'll surprise some, some folks. I love that. I think those are, those are some good picks, some guys that we hadn't even talked about today. Um, but I think that's perfect because, you know, the way this draft goes is, is you know, mock drafts are useful, but they're just not like, not going to predict everything. It's even less likely that you'll get picks right in, in an MLB mock draft versus a uh, an NFL mock draft. So, uh, Damien, you got anything else for Greg? I, I think we've run on our questions and we're at an hour. So, No, yeah, I, I don't have anything else. This has been a fantastic uh, dive into it, Greg. I, I I very much appreciate you coming on and and given you know I, like I, I said, I'm not much of being able to dive into the MLB draft side because it is so variable and um, you know it does take years to happen. So to kind of get a, a deep dive behind it and, and hit some of these other players, um, you know that most people wouldn't be talking about. I think it's been a, a fantastic thing. So very much thank you for for coming on and doing this. Hey, I really enjoyed it, folks. I, this is great. Um, yeah, I mean, hit, hit me up online anytime to talk about MLB Draft. Uh, 
this is kind of my heyday, but you know, I'll probably be talking about the draft just as much in October. Uh, so you can feel free to mute me at that point. But um, <laughs> but I think I just love this week's fun. Next week's going to be fun. And just, you know, brace yourself for a wild ride because while, while you might look at like mocks or, or read all the articles, there's going to be some big, big changes, big surprises, big mix-ups. And honestly, it keeps it pretty fun. All right, my my line, my last question, Greg. Who 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 are the Cubs taking? Who who are we taking? Who are we looking for? <laughs> um, you know, I, I mentioned him before. I, I don't I don't have any inside information here. I, I'm just more trying to think of like conceptually what I could see. Um, and I'll just go like Nolan Shawnell, because uh, I, I ooh, you know, maybe maybe the Cubs like to do a little, uh, you know, little 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 surprising little uh something fun little save money pick and, and buy somebody down to pick 68 uh and i like channel a lot and so yeah like maybe maybe that's your 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 play where you save a million dollars off or eight hundred thousand mm-hmm. and then offer that to uh your your next pick and the cubs have a pretty desperate first base weakness in the system where hayden mcgeary's maybe your only guy there so you know with a maybe an mlb future so i do like that i i would be excited for that pick i think so uh, and noted that he's maybe a fast mover too, so that that's kind of exciting. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm down with that. Yeah. Right. Now tell me who the Dodgers are picking at 36. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> you, you will be able to check out my mock later yeah. in this week. <laughs> um, you know, right right before we end the show, Greg, why don't you go ahead and just let everyone know again where they can find all of your stuff? Totally appreciate it, Damian and David, again for having me on. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter again, if that's still existing here, when, whenever you listen to this, but at Ivy Futures, I-V-Y-F-U-T-U-R-E-S. Um, I, we've got a Discord that we plug on as well, and and I think like Facebook. I write at Northsidebound primarily. That's that's the, the place that I live. I'm one of the co-founders there. So while it's Cubs topics, especially around this time, you're going to see a lot of just MLB draft content. So I've got like... <clears throat> live looks from Omaha with both the big 10 championship and, and the college world series. So we're going to talk about players that almost surely the Cubs are not taking. So feel free to dive into that. If you're a fan of somebody else, I've got some gut feel guys, just guys that I believe in again, no idea if they end up in Chicago. So it's, it's very much uh, broad. My MLB mock drafts uh, go at least 39 picks. And so it covers every single team in baseball along with breakdowns of what the, the bonus pool is, past history and drafting, one of their general tendencies, um, and just a write-up of you know players that they may be considering with uh, with obviously a mock as well. So should be should be good this week, uh, even if you're not a Cubs fan to to follow me. Well, that's that's fantastic. Make sure to go check Greg out and uh, and check out his articles. Follow him. Um, and right before we wrap the show up, guys, just remember that a week from today. On July 11th, we will be doing our first ever live stream of the All-Star Game Watch Long. Uh, we're going to try and get some uh, people to come in and, you know, just talk about either the game, maybe potential draft talk uh, since it will have happened by then. But uh, it's a week from today, July 11th, on our YouTube channel. Uh, so make sure to subscribe to that so we can, uh, you know, have you guys along for that. But uh, I think that's going to wrap it up for the show, guys. So once again, thank you, Greg, for, for coming on and doing this. and. Uh, Everyone, have a great day, and we'll see you for the All-Star Game live stream.